0: CHAPTER NINE OF CERTAIN PERSONAL MATTERS This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham Scott, Cheltenham, England. CERTAIN PERSONAL MATTERS by H. G. Wells the language of flowers during the early victorian revival of chivalry the language of flowers had some considerable vogue the romeo of the mutton-chop whiskers was expected to keep this delicate symbolism in view and even to display his wit by some dainty conceits in it an ignorance of the code was fraught with innumerable dangers a sprig of lilac was a suggestion A moss-rose bud pushed the matter, was indeed evidence to go to court upon, and unless Charlotte parried with white poplar, a by no means accessible flower, or apricot-blossom, or failing these dabbed a cooling dock-leaf at the fellow, he was at her with tulip, heliotrope, and honeysuckle, peach-blossom, white jonquil, and pink, and a really overpowering and suffocating host of attentions i suppose he got at last to three-cornered notes in the vernacular and meanwhile what could a poor girl do there was no downright no in the language of flowers nothing equivalent to go away please no flower for idiot the only possible defence was something in this way your cruelty causes me sorrow your absence is a pleasure for this according to the code of mr thomas miller third edition eighteen forty one with elegantly coloured plates you would have to get a sweet pea blossom for pleasure wormwood for absence and indicate sorrow by the yew and cruelty by the stinging nettle there is always a little risk of mixing your predicates in this kind of communication and he might for instance read that his absence caused you sorrow but he could scarcely miss the point of the stinging nettle that and the gorse carefully concealed were about the only gleams of humour possible in the language but then it was the appointed tongue of lovers and while their sickness is upon them they have neither humour nor wit this mr thomas miller wrote abundant flowers of language in his book and the plates were coloured by hand by the by what a blessed thing colour printing is these hand-tinted plates to an imaginative person are about as distressing as any plates can very well be whenever i look at these triumphs of art over the beauties of nature with all their weary dabs of crimson green blue and yellow i think of wretched anaemic girls fading their youth away in some dismal attic over a publisher's toiling through the whole edition tint by tint and being mocked the while by mr miller's alliterative erotics and they are erotics in one place he writes beautiful art thou o broom on the breezy bosom of the bee-haunted heath and throughout he buds and blossoms into similar delights he wallows in doves and coy toyings and modest blushes and bowers and meads he always adds wonderful boy to chatterton's name as if it were a university degree w b and he invariably refers to moore as the bard of erin and to milton as the bard of paradise though bard of the bottomless pit would be more appropriate however we are not concerned with mr miller's language so much as with a very fruitful suggestion he throws out that it is surely worth while to trace a resemblance between the flower and the emblem it represents a turn like that is nothing to mr miller which shall at least have some show of reason in it come to think of it there is something singularly unreasonable about almost all floral symbolism there is your forget-me-not pink in the bud and sapphire in the flower with a fruit that breaks up into four the very picture of inconstancy and discursiveness yet your lover with a singular blindness presents this to his lady when they part then the white water-lily is supposed to represent purity of heart and mark you it is white without and its centre is all set about with innumerable golden stamens while in the middle lies to quote the words of that distinguished botanist mr oliver a fleshy disc could there be a better type of sordid and mercenary deliberation maintaining a fair appearance the tender apple-blossom rather than pretence is surely a reminder of eden and the fall of love's devotion into inflated worldliness the poppy which flaunts its violent colors athwart the bearded corn and which frets and withers like the second mrs tanqueray so soon as you bring it to the shelter of a decent home is made the symbol of repose one might almost think aime martin and the other great authorities on this subject wrote in a mood of irony the daisy too presents you innocence companion of the milk-white lamb mr miller calls it i am sorry for the milk-white lamb it was one of the earliest discoveries of systematic botany that the daisy is a fraud a complicated impostor the daisy is not a flower at all it is a favorite trap in botanical examinations a snare for artless young men entering the medical profession each of the little yellow things in the centre of the daisy is a flower in itself if you look at one with a lens you will find it not unlike a cowslip flower and the white rays outside are a great deal more than the petals they ought to be if the innocence theory is to hold good there is no such thing as an innocent flower they are all so many deliberate advertisements to catch the eye of the undecided bee but any flower almost is simpler than this one we would make it the emblem of artistic deception and the confidence trick expert should wear it as his crest the violet again is a greatly overrated exemplar it stimulates a certain bashfulness hangs its head and passed as modest among our simple grandparents its special merit is its perfume and it pretends to wish to hide that from every eye but withal the fragrance is as far-reaching as any i know it droops ingenuously how could you come to me it seems to say when all these really brilliant flowers invite you mere fishing for compliments all the while it is being sweet to the very best of its undeniable ability then it comes to in early spring without a chaperone and catches our hearts fresh before they are jaded with the crowded beauties of may a really modest flower would wait for the other flowers to come first a subtle affectation is surely a different thing from modesty the violet is simply artful the young widow among flowers and to hold up such a flower as an example is not doing one's duty by the young for true modesty commend me to the agave which flowers only once in half a hundred years as one may see for oneself at the royal botanical gardens enough has been said to show what scope there is for revision of this sentimental volapook mr martin himself scarcely goes so far as i have done though i have merely worked out his suggestion his only revolutionary proposal is to displace the wind-star by the wraith primrose for forsaken on the strength of a quotation familiar to every reader of mason's little textbook on the english language for the rest he followed his authorities and has followed them now to the remote recesses of the literary lumber-room and into the Tupney book-box from that receptacle one copy of him was disinterred only a day or so ago a hundred and seventy pages of prose chiefly alliterative several colored plates enthusiastic pencil markings of a vanished somebody and besides an early victorian flavor of dust and a dim vision of a silent conversation in a sunlit flower garden altogether i think very cheap at tutton's the fashion has changed altogether now in these days we season our love-making with talk about heredity philanthropy and sanitation and present one another with fabian publications instead of wild flowers but in the end i fancy the business comes to very much the same thing end of chapter nine